following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. And so as I was thinking about what I should be saying and preaching on today to kind of end this interim leadership period and thinking like if this was my last sermon in that time because Josh is taking over next week, what should I say? God, what should I say? And what I kept really coming back to is the same of what my heartbeat has been, what your staff's heartbeat has been, what our transition team's heartbeat has been throughout this whole entire process. And that is Jesus is in charge. Jesus is deserving of worship. And I want to walk in the direction that Jesus has for our church and for my life. And so that's what we're going to do really today is we're going to talk about how we continue, even though we're in this new season now, we're in a new season of ministry, how we are called to continue to walk toward Jesus. No matter what's happening in your life, you're called to continue to walk toward Jesus. That's what a follower, that's what a disciple of Christ is. Now, we recently finished our series called Follow. And if I was to take a stab at what my definition of a follower of Christ is, I would say a follower of Christ is someone who exemplifies and glorifies Jesus in all things. Regardless of circumstance, situation, I exalt, I honor, I exemplify, live out what Jesus wants for me. So that means in the good and in the bad. It means in the struggle and in the success, in uncertainties, unknowns, in the knowns and the certainties, in transitions, in completions, and everything in between. I'm to honor and live for Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what we are called to, to constantly, consistently set our eyes on Jesus and walk out that path, that direction in our lives. And this is something that it's cool, too, because this is something that Pastor Josh talked on last week and how you infuse faith, you infuse Jesus into your story, no matter your circumstance, no matter what's happening in your life. And then you see how God honors that, and we see that in Josh's story. It was cool to hear his testimony and hear his passion for Jesus, his passion for this community in Tacoma. It was awesome. So today I want to continue on with that thought and think of what this means for our church as this transition season is ending. We're heading into this new ministry season But I also want to make this applicable to your life and understanding that you guys are all at different places. You guys are all living with, you know, different uncertainties, different transitions in your life. And I want to tell you that you could have confidence in God. You could have confidence in Jesus if you set your eyes on him and walk according to his word. So I kind of equate this. This is more of just like a talk. This is just... Trevor, you don't have to call me interim Pastor Trevor. This is just, Trevor, we're looking at the Bible together this morning, and if anything, I just want you to be encouraged by God's love for you and how you can have confidence in him. And so one of of the, I want to look at two very familiar passages of scriptures, things that you've read a million times. We're going to make it a million and one today. And the first one is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. And it says exactly this, what I just said. It says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I love this picture. I love this imagery that the Bible gives us. That we're surrounded by these people of faith 
surrounded by these pillars of faith, people that are for us, people that have gone before us, people like Peter, people like Paul, people like Billy Graham, who just passed this past week. Sad to hear that, but what an amazing man of God. What an amazing testimony, what an amazing ministry, and what an amazing legacy that he's leaving. We're surrounded by these people of faith, people around the world that we haven't even met, but they love Jesus, people that are sitting to your left and to your right this morning. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So it says that we're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Throws off, throw off anything that keeps you distracted. Think you, th- things that keep you defeated. Anything that weighs you down, holds you back for the plans and purposes of calling that God has in your life. It says throw it all off and run the race with perseverance, this race marked out for us. Whenever I read about races in the Bible, I always think about the one time Pastor Matt convinced me to run a half marathon with him. And by far, top five things I will never do again. (laughs) Definitely in that list. I went on to retire from running. Matt went on to run like 40 more full marathons, and I was like, you know, 13 point whatever miles, that's probably enough for me. But what blew me away is like, you're running this race, and you got people lining the sidewalks, and they're like cheering for you, rooting you on, like, you can do this. And I'm like, you don't even know me. I can't do this. Like, I'm dying here. And these old ladies are passing me, like sprinting past me. I'm going in slow motion, and they're rooting me on, and I'm like dying just to breathe It's like these cloud of witnesses rooting me on through this race with perseverance. And that's what it's saying here. As followers of Christ, we are to run this race with passion, with perseverance and faith because of what God has done for us. It doesn't say that, you know, followers of Jesus sit around the water cooler and talk about days of yesteryear. It doesn't say that we're supposed to stand in a single file line. Like sometimes religion can feel like this obligation where we have to fall in line and we have to do these certain things and it's all these rigid things. No, it says run, run. The freedom of running this race with perseverance, this race that God has called you to, you are called to get in this race, even if you hate running marathons. Verse 2 is really what defines the focus of this talk for me today. And that says, when we're running this race, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The pioneer, the one who initiated it all, began it all, chose us, pursued us, called us, loved us. The reason that we could build this life of confidence through faith is because of him. But he's also the perfecter. He's the finisher, the completer. We'll see it all come together. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is an amazing picture that God paints for his church, but also for you, for his followers, for your life. In the, in the midst of all the demands and distractions, successes, the ups and downs, the transitions and the completions, it says that we're to continually set our eyes on Jesus and run this race with perseverance and faith. Because when we do, we see everything differently. 
It gives us a new perspective. It becomes a whole new lens for how we view the world, how we view the church, how we view our families, how we view our community, and what my role is and my responsibility is through it all. That phrase, fix your eyes, kind of has a a double meaning. Uh, The first meaning to fix your eyes means you got broke eyes. Your eyes are broken. You need to fix them. My eyes are broken. We often only focus on our circumstance or see things, things through our own perspective, right? We often look at ourselves, not look at other people. And so we need to fix our eyes. Jesus needs to fix our eyes so we have this perspective and we can see things, see people the way that God sees things, the way that God sees people. The other meaning of fix your eyes to fix could be to focus, right? To attach your attention onto Jesus. We need to focus our eyes on him. And when we do, everything around us has new meaning, new life. So that's what we're going to talk about today. That was a long intro. So we're going to talk about today for the next 25 minutes or so. And again, this is just a really simple reminder to continue to fix your eyes on Jesus. No matter the season, fix our eyes on what's coming ahead, how we could be a part of what God wants to do in us and through us here at Canyon Ridge Church in this new season. So you had some fix your eyes glasses that I got from the dollar store. Go ahead and put those on. Yeah, so everyone was asking me last week, like, Trevor, are you going to shave now that we have a new pastor? And I was saying, well, we don't, it starts on the first, so I'm going to go halfway between a beard and shaving and rock the mustache. And I've been, don't trash the stash. I've been, I've been rocking this all week. Like, went home Sunday after and shaved it down to the mustache. People treat you differently when you have a mustache. It's like they're afraid of you more. That's kind of, if you have a mustache, that's not about you. I love you. So go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, fix your eyes. Good. So as you do that, you can also grab your Bible. We're going to open up to the book of, the, book of Matthew I know we're done with the follow series, but I just can't quit the book of Matthew. It's like something about it keeps bringing me back. So we're going to look at this with a new perspective, with our eyes fixed, okay? We're going to do this, and this is a practical example of what fixing our eyes looks like, how we walk that out. And again, this is a very familiar scripture. I think Andrew actually spoke on this about seven months ago, so it's going to be familiar to you, but new perspective. Here we go. Let me give you some context before we jump into this. So here's Jesus. He's well into his public ministry, about three years in. His disciples have been following him, learning from him for quite some time now. The crowds that are following him are growing and growing and growing. They wanted to be around him because they wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to see him perform miracles. They wanted him to heal them. And so right before this passage that we're going to look at today... Jesus does one of his biggest miracles in front of one of his biggest crowds. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. You heard that before. And there's this huge crowd gathered in front of him, and they didn't have anything to eat. And so Jesus performed this miracle by making much out of very little until everyone was fed, everyone was satisfied. And in fact, the word tells us that just 5,000 men were counted. That was just the way that they did things back then. So we can imagine with women and children that there is between 7,500 and 10,000 people that were filled to satisfaction. It's pretty incredible. It's this huge miracle, this ministry high, 
But then look at what happens immediately after that. Verse 22 of chapter 14 says, immediately. So like legit, immediately. This is the original dine and dash that's happening before very eyes. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And this is an interesting choice here by Jesus. I mean, this is like a momentous occasion. This miracle, I'm sure the disciples are going to be talking about for the rest of their lives. But Jesus says, that was cool. Now you guys get in the boat. Go out in front of me. I'll meet you guys a little bit later. And, and why would he do this? I'm sure the disciples were like, come on, Jesus, man, you're, you're killing the vibe. I'm over here. I'm signing autographs. I'm like telling people I'm in the band, too. I'm like a background singer. But no, Jesus says to go. Jesus says, you know, I'll turn on the lights, tell everyone you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here and dismiss the crowd. You guys go. I'll meet you later. Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he, Jesus, Went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. So hours had passed because it says later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted. That doesn't mean they were like listening to Margaritaville. Jimmy Buffett fans? No, didn't think that would play out. No. <laughs> buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. So there's several things here going on in this verse. Uh, it's important to recognize. First of all, something we could skip past, but something that the writers of the gospel included intentionally over and over, but sometimes it's overlooked or it's an unnoticed pattern, it's that Jesus would regularly pull away from the crowds to pray. This was a regular practice or discipline for Jesus in his life, this discipline of fixing his eyes Jesus knew that the, the call of ministry, the demands of the people, regular life stuff could easily hijack, take away his attention. And so he knew he had to regularly fix his eyes to focus on the will of the Father and his love for him. And so Jesus would regularly pull away to pray. Also in this section we just read, says that the disciples have been out in the Sea of Galilee for hours. They were a considerable distance off the shore. Uh, people say that it would be about a two to three hour journey across the Sea of Galilee, but they were at it for much longer than that. I don't know if you guys have been on a boat or in a canoe before where you're paddling, but the wind is coming. Is that a headwind? I'm not really sure. Uh, you're going into the wind and you're paddling, but you're actually going backwards. How frustrating and discouraging that is. We do our kids' camp uh, for a denomination uh, called Junior Camp at Camp Miller Sylvania, Miller Sylvania State Park, there outside of Tumwater Lacey area. And we always encourage counselors to take some of the kids from their cabin out in a canoe because there's no distractions. You don't want to bring your phone in case you fall into the water, right? And so you just get to invest and speak with and encourage these kids. But we have some not very strong counselors that go out on Deep Lake there, and the wind like blows away from the campground. So it's a regular occurrence that you see counselors and kids a mile across the lake, and we have to send someone out to rescue them, and it's usually me. 
<laughs> and we know also that some of the fishermen or some of the disciples here are fishermen, right? This is like their home turf. This is a regular thing. They probably fished the Sea of Galilee thousands of times. But here we are well into the night. They're still a considerable distance off the shore because Jesus was about to do something that none of them expected. Verse 25 says, Shortly before dawn, so even more time, now we're like four in the morning, shortly before dawn, they're exhausted, they've been at this all night, they're defeated, they're probably tired. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And I love this because, like remember earlier when Jesus sent them off, he's like, you guys go over there, I'll meet up with you. He never said how he was going to get there. They never asked like, how are you going to come and meet us over there? He just gets all Jesus-y and walks across the lake <laughs> like that was his plan all along from the beginning. So there goes Jesus walking on the lake. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And we probably would be too if we were in that situation. But on the other hand, I mean, who else do you expect to be walking on the lake at that hour? Probably just Jesus. I love how real the Bible is. Like the disciples, after spending years with Jesus, learning from him, having just witnessed this miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people, knowing that they were going to go off ahead of him and Jesus was going to meet up with them, all they could think of, it's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. They cried like children squealing. <laughs> we have this mountaintop experience. Jesus does this, the second miracle right in a row, walking on the water, and they go straight Scooby-Doo in the moment. So the disciples are scared. They're afraid. They think this ghost is coming at them. They're exhausted from rowing all night. But verse 27, Jesus immediately, second time we've seen that word, Jesus immediately, without delay, says to them, and listen, these words here, this might be the reason that you're here at church today. These might be words that you need to hear from Jesus in your life. Maybe you have a difficult situation. You're stuck in this transition. You don't know if God's for you in the future. Things have been rough in the past. This is what Jesus would say to you. He says, take courage. It is I. He says, it's me, guys. You, you know me. Don't be afraid. And what a, what a powerful message that is, that we're to take courage, that when we feel overwhelmed in our life, take courage. When the horizon of your future is unclear, take courage. When the winds and the waves of your life pick up, when you feel defeated and exhausted, when you feel like you're losing more ground than you're taking, take courage. When you don't have courage of your own, Jesus says, here, take mine. Take courage. I'm here. I'm with you. I am for you. You don't have to be afraid. And so Peter does. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, still a little iffy on this ghost or Jesus situation. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you and walk on the water. Now, this is a pretty interesting requests. I mean, Peter could have said like, Lord, if it's you, please get in the flipping boat 
stop the wind and the waves, and let's get on to the other side. Can I say flipping in church? I don't know. I already said it twice. Uh, But that's not what Peter requested. He said, instead, if it is you, tell me to come to you. Another way of saying that is, Lord, draw me into your presence. Like, do you remember that game you used to play in elementary school uh, called Mother May I? Anyone? Play that in PE. Some of you are absolute no's and some of you are yeses. Play at PE, play at recess. It's basically someone stands out in the distance and you have to make a request to get to them and they could grant it or not grant it. And then once you get to them, you replace them or whatever. I'm not sure how the game ends. I just remember the call and request. That's essentially what Peter is doing here. He's saying, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to take 10 scissor steps toward you and I will. And Jesus says, Peter, no, you forgot to say Messiah, may I? Peter calls out in the midst of uncertainty to step out into this unknown, to this unknown. Something that's never been done before, but with confidence through faith. Verse 29, come, Jesus says. All right, Peter, you want an invitation? Come, come on out in faith. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, this is a significant moment. Jesus calls Peter into this unknowable sea of the future to do something that he's never done before, to go where he's never gone before, to trust Jesus like he's never trusted Jesus before. It's this amazing miracle to consider. It's it's a miracle that Jesus walked on water, but it's no less of a miracle that Peter here is walking on the water. Later in the Gospels, Jesus would say, when I go, I'll send you the Holy Spirit and you will do even greater things than I did. But here in the Gospel of Matthew, it's happening in real time. Peter is doing what Jesus is doing in that moment. And you know what that means for you and I? It means if Peter can trust God like that, you could trust God like that. I could trust God like that. I can step out in faith. I could step into an unknowable, unseen future, trusting God to do the impossible in my life. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. No, what happened? The story was going so good. I was getting excited about it. He's walking on the water. Something shifted, something changed. Now he's sinking. And the text doesn't tell us, like, Jesus started, like, moonwalking backwards, creating a greater distance, like messing with Peter. That's probably what I would have done, but that's why I'm not Jesus. Uh, It doesn't say, like, the wind and the rain picked up more, so he had more reason to be afraid. It doesn't say that he saw a shark or there was a boat coming at him or an iceberg right ahead. None of that. It just something changed. He simply took his eyes off of Jesus. He didn't have his eyes fixed on Jesus and began to look around. He began to look at the externals and started to sink. And isn't this what we do so often? Like, even in the presence, like, there's a miracle. It's a miracle moment that he is in the middle of and yet still takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to sink. Doesn't keep his eyes ahead. Focus on the externals. 
my, my sister had to teach um, my nephew, Isaac, the middle child there, to ride the bike. Isaac has an older brother, Elijah, who's a couple years in front of him, so he always does the cool things first. So Isaac wanted to be like Elijah and, and ride the bike. And so my sister said, like, she ran more laps down in front of their house trying to teach him to ride the bike than she's ever done before her life. And so Isaac was killing it with the training wheels, but, I mean, honestly, everyone kills it with training wheels, so come on, America, let's raise our standards a little bit. Um, so he's also one of those kids, like, if he fails, it goes from tears to anger really, really quickly. And so the, the first time without training wheels, she was running, holding on to the back seat. Some of your parents know this experience. Run the back seat, and then it's like a Titanic moment again. She's like, never let go. And she's like, I got to let go, or you'll never do this on your own. And so she lets go, and it's like slow motion. Isaac looks back and cranks his wheel at the same time, like, no. And then Jack knifes the front wheel right and then slams in the ground gets super, you know, starts crying, and crying turns to anger, and then tries to fight my sister, it's like, swears that he'll never ride a bike ever again, right, a couple days go by, and my sister encourages him, okay, well, you have to keep your eyes ahead, you can't just look at all these things over here to your left, your right, you have to keep focusing on what's ahead, and so they try it again, she runs, she lets go, Isaac keeps his focus ahead, but forgets to pedal, so he's just like, you know, dead stiff, holding it, and so goes and then loses momentum, you know how it works, falls aside, there's tears, there's punches, there's running up to the room again, a couple of days go by, I'm like, okay, so you need to focus ahead, but you also need to pedal, like, all these things worked together for you to ride the bike. <laughs> Eventually, Isaac figured it out, and the dude, he can't get this guy off his bike now, he's like, if it's, as long as it's not raining, he's doing laps around the neighborhood constantly, but riding a bike is what? It's keeping your eyes, keeping your focus in front of you, but you got to keep pedaling. So how do we walk in faith? There's a principle here. Well, one, we have to get on the bike. We have to get out of the boat. Then we need to focus our eyes on Jesus and taking one step after the other. One step after the other. Back to Peter, who's currently sinking in our story. Verse 31. Immediately, third time now, We've seen that word in this short story. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? I always read that before as like anger from Jesus, but it's not anger. He's like, come on, man. Why did you? You were, you were so close. There's something interesting to point out about this verse. And first, it, it reveals the heart of God to us, right? It it reveals that we can call out and that he is near. He is an ever-present help in a time of need. He is near to reach out. He, Peter began to sink, and Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. He didn't punish him. He didn't judge him. He didn't shame him. There is no judgment. There's mercy. There's grace. There's love. It's not like Jesus was just chilling there on the water, like watching Peter go down and say, I guess you got to start swimming, man. Hope you brought your floaties. And this is sometimes why it's, it's hard for us to trust God or trust God with our future stepping out to where God's leading us because we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing, screwing up, and we're afraid if we do screw up, God's going to judge us and say, you didn't get it exactly right, so I guess you have to drown in your decisions so we never get out of the boat because we have this wrong view of who God is. 
standing there with arms crossed, judging us, rather than standing there with arms open saying, come, you can trust me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Now, do you ever, uh, when you're reading through the Bible, like try to visualize the stories, like playing them with movies in your mind? Probably. Most people do. It's probably a dumb question. But my picture of this before was always like Peter got out of the boat, took one, maybe two steps, and just started sinking. Like he didn't get very far. He probably could have just turned around and grabbed the boat and would have been fine. But my perspective of that has changed as I thought about this a little bit more because the text already said that Jesus was so far off in the distance that they thought he was a ghost, right? So Jesus is like ghost distance away. It's a new unit of measurement. It's called ghost distance. Jesus was one ghost distant unit away from the boat (laughs) at that time. And so Peter had to walk that distance to get within the perspective, the proximity, the presence of Jesus, where all Jesus had to do is reach out his hand to grab him. That's a different way of thinking about it. Now we could begin to understand why Jesus would say here, Peter, buddy, you're so close. I mean, look how far your faith has carried you. Look how far you've come. Peter's focus, Peter's faith, Peter's confidence in Jesus took him a great distance. And as far as I know, he still holds the world record for longest distance walked on water by a (laughs) non-deity. Wrapping up the story, verse 32. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Of course it did, right? (laughs) You got to love that Jesus is like, show's over. Everyone get the message here? Everyone understand the lesson? Great, let's wrap this up and get to the other side. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Now, it's really easy to read this story and think, man, Peter's lame. He failed. Easy to go, Peter, you were walking on water, but then you started to doubt and you started to sink, and that's where I lost my faith in you. And to some extent, it's true, right? Peter didn't make it all the way over to Jesus. He forgot to fix his eyes all the way through this process, and he began to sink. But when I look at the story, I see 11 bigger failures still chilling in the boat. I see 11 followers of Jesus who didn't have the courage to receive Jesus's, but instead decided just to sit there in their own comfort, in their own security, even though they were going nowhere. At least Peter decided to go somewhere, but they just sat there looking at each other like, what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? Oh, look, there goes Peter. (laughs) Only... Only one actually took the courage that Jesus offered to step into uncertainty, to step in the unknowable sea of the future, to have confidence in him that when we step out, God will guide our steps and he will guard our lives. And this is a a fundamental faith principle here. This is the lesson that we are to take away from the story. As you in your life, Look into those unknown horizons of your future. Some things that you're worried about, some things that you're concerned about, things for your family and some of your relationships, for your job, for your finances, all of the unknowns that lie ahead in your future. What we can learn from Peter is this, is that when I give God my attention, God will give me my direction. 
When I give, my, give God my attention, he will determine that direction in my life. When I fix my eyes on him, step out in courage, step out in faith, one step in front of the other, Jesus has my best intentions at hand. And he's trustworthy. He proves it. Your life is a boat. There, I said it. it. Took me a long time to get there. Your life is a boat. The wind and the waves, circumstances that surround you, the ebb and flow in your life that knock you, the wind from left to right on course sometimes. The horizon, that's your future. Your future is just beyond what you can see. It's the uncertainty. It's out there somewhere. But what you can see, standing dead center in the horizon, is Jesus. And he's calling out to each of us. He says, come. You could trust me. I'm trustworthy. And when you fail, when you sink, and you will, you will. He says, I'm there because I love you. I'm there to immediately reach out my hand. That's the confidence that we could have in our future, no matter where we find ourselves this morning. If we know where to fix our eyes. Again, Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, bringing it to completion in our lives. So what would it look like this week if you did just that? I go back to what Jesus did to make a practice of prayer. How Jesus would regularly pull away from the crowds to fix his eyes on God the Father. To say, God, before I rush into my day, before I reach for my iPhone and look at social media or check my emails, God, I'm going to give you my first and focus all of my attention on you right now in this moment through prayer, through scripture reading, doing 20-minute mornings, saying, God, I know that you have told me to take courage for today. And I know that I can't control everything that's going to happen to me today. And so I'm going to focus my attention on you and walk in that direction in my life and make this a practice of prayer, a discipline of reading the word and see how that unfolds every day as we take a step after a step after a step, getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And as I think about this too in context of our church right now, what an exciting moment that we're in. Let us collectively as a church say, God, we are all together as Canyon Ridge Church going to set our headings on Jesus and go in that direction. That God is sending us out into new waters of sorts, but his call remains the same to each of us to get out of the boat, to run this race with perseverance and faith. Don't pull back on prayer just because we have a new pastor. Pray more, man. Pray, pray more. Look at what the completion of prayer did. 13 months of prayer, but it's awesome. Awesome. Think if we continue to pray. We pray more. We go after God more. We serve more. We give more. We love our community more. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I guarantee for the rest of his life, Peter never looked at that water the same. I guarantee every time it brought a lot of emotions, a lot of thoughts to his mind. But also, the 11 other that didn't get out of the boat, I'm sure 
they never looked at the water the same as well. Maybe some regret. Maybe like, if only I would have. Maybe I could have had the record for the longest distance traveled. I don't know. (laughs) But we will never know. We will never experience the fullness of God's blessing in our life unless we're willing to respond in faith, to get out of the boat, and walk toward Jesus. I want to end uh, this morning with, I was reading some Billy Graham quotes throughout this week, and I want to end with one. And this is Billy Graham talking about just the importance of focusing on Jesus and how it's a daily reality for him to work in our hearts. Billy says this, You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. Living for Christ is a day-by-day experience. It's a continuous dependence on the Spirit of God, learning to keep close to Jesus, to listen to his voice, and to follow him. We can't hear his voice. We can't follow him unless we're living in that proximity that we're close enough to hear it. So that's my encouragement to each of you this morning. For our church, for your life, continue to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because we know when we do, we can have confidence, this assuredness that the scriptures tell us.